Well, church, it's a good day. It's a good day. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for what God has done. I'm thankful that we have a little fort built up here on stage of Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. I can't help it. Preaching up here today makes me feel a little bit like a five-year-old surrounded by blocks in my room telling my sister that girls aren't allowed. Um, but I'm so grateful for all of this. I'm so grateful for the God that we worship. We are in the third week of a sermon series called You Asked For It. And the first two weeks were really um, trying to put together all of the questions we got about creation and how did God do this or why did God do this. And so that's why we, we kind of focused on the first week on why am I here? And then last week we talked about calling and, and I shared my story in talking about why me. Why is it that God calls us? Why me? Why did God call me into that? Why did God think I was the right person to do that? Because if you're anything like me, you know what it's like for God to call you into something and for you to go, no, you've got the wrong guy. I'm not qualified for that. I'm not good enough for that. And yet God has a tendency to call us into things that would not be possible without him. God has a tendency to call us into things that would not be possible without him. And so before I jump into today's sermon, I just want to kind of as a tail end of last week, I want to say this to you, church. If God has called you into it, if God has called you into it, he will equip you for it. And that's an easy thing to talk about when we feel like we're talking about calling, like, yes, God's called me into this job or this career. But that's an entirely different thing when we start really looking at the afflictions that come our way in life, because some of the experience you're going through, some of the burden that you're carrying, some of the weight that you have, uh, have been lifting, you're only in that place, you're only in this season, because God has called you there. God has called you to glorify Him there. God has called you to carry that weight with Him. In fact, He's asked you to say, hey, you know what? I've got this burden on my shoulders, and my shoulders cannot carry it, and that's where God is going. You're absolutely right, they can't, but mine can. And so there's a handful of you here today that you're going through a season of life right now, and you're going, I can't carry this any longer, and what I want you to know is that you are absolutely right, but you worship a Jesus who is capable of carrying the weight on your shoulders. So what God has called you to, He will equip you for. But today, we're in the third week of this sermon series, you asked for it, and when I tell you that today's topic was the most requested topic, it wasn't even close. There were four times as many requests for me to preach on this one topic than on anything else. And so what that tells me is that this is a topic that is not just personal for me. This is a topic that is personal for the church. This is a topic that so many of us are living with and dealing with and suffering under. And for many of us, we are drowning in. But I'm here today to tell you that there is hope for the hopeless. And there is a God who will be with us in the middle of our darkest day. And so we do not go through it alone. So today, for the third week of our sermon series, you asked for it. I want to preach a message 
on overcoming fear and anxiety. Is there anyone out there who'd just be willing to say along with me, hey, you know what? Fear and anxiety is real for me. This is a personal relationship. Fear and anxiety, this is something that's had way too much control in my life. That's right. We're not alone in this. And so I want to start, if I can, with a little bit of my experience. And it's an experience that started about the time I was 22 and really came to a really ugly head in October of last year. And so let me share with you my experience. I was a 22-year-old. I was in my first of many, many senior years of college. I was a 22-year-old in, in the first of my many senior years of college. My, my parents were living in Portland, Maine at the time. And my sister was in college in Nashville, Tennessee. And I was in college in Orlando, Florida, and my parents had a home in St. Augustine, Florida that they were keeping because they were not going to stay in Maine for long. So what that meant was is that every other weekend I had to leave the campus of the University of Central Florida and go to St. Augustine to mow the yard and check on the house and make sure everything was okay. And maybe you're like me. There were three bedrooms in this house. There were beds in each of the bedrooms. In fact, I had only moved out of the house like 36 hours before my mom had painted and redecorated my room and turned it into a beautiful guest room. But despite the fact that I was 22 years old in a big house alone, I didn't feel comfortable sleeping in any of the beds, so I slept on the couch because the couch was in the middle of the house, and I felt like if anyone came into the house by being in a central location in the house, I was going to be able to defend myself. No one was going to sneak up on me in the middle of the house. So I'm sleeping on the living room couch, and I wake up about 4.30 in the morning, and I can't breathe, and my chest is tight, and I'm sweating. And I'm convinced that as a 22-year-old, relatively healthy guy, I'm convinced I'm having a heart attack. And, and so I do what anyone does when they think they're having a heart attack. I got in the car and drove myself to the hospital. There are people here who work in the ER who will tell you that's actually probably a lot more common than we think it is. Um... And I get to the hospital, and I'm a type 1 diabetic, and so, hey, it's, it's highly, highly, highly unlikely you're having a heart attack, but, you know, there is this risk factor, so let's do all the tests. So, I mean, they take me through everything, the EKG and all these different things, and they do five different blood tests. And the doctor finally comes in, and he goes, are you stressed about anything? I'm a 22-year-old college student. I'm like, not really? What flavor ramen am I going to eat tomorrow? I don't know. Like... And the doctor looks at me and he goes, physically, you're fine. You're having an anxiety attack. And I went home going, wow, that was weird. And then it went away. So I didn't think about it again. Until about a year and a half later, I woke up in my apartment in Orlando, now in my second of three or four senior years. 
about 4 a.m. in the morning, same circumstance, convinced I'm having a heart attack. But here's the thing. Now I know enough to go, okay, it's probably not a heart attack. It's probably an anxiety attack. But telling yourself it's just an anxiety attack when you're in the middle of an anxiety attack doesn't make it any better. I would love to tell you it does. I would love to tell you that going, Rob, you're just having an anxiety attack suddenly makes everything okay. But no, you wake up with this dark cloud. It's this impending sense of doom. Even though you're telling yourself, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, just breathe, you're going to be okay. And that's what you're intellectually telling yourself and your body is just screaming, we're dying! Go into the hospital. You're having an anxiety attack. Yeah, I know, I know, but I had to be sure, I had to be sure, because it feels like I'm dying. And I went home and got better. And so another year passed by. And it happened again. And as I got older, what was this freak thing that happened maybe once a year was getting more and more frequent. But I don't know whether or not this is just that I'm hard-headed or that I'm a guy or that I didn't have health insurance. Like, I don't know what combination of things it is, but I just, I would get out of the hospital when it would happen, and I would go, okay, well, that happened, and I wouldn't really deal with it. I wouldn't really address it. I wouldn't really kind of go the next step with it. And then it started to happen more and more. In 2014, God called me to become the pastor here at Duns Creek Baptist Church, and I want to just confess to you guys up front, um, it's been a blast. It's been so much fun. It is really, and I'm not saying that facetiously at all. It has been so much fun. It has been the most fun I've ever had doing anything in my life for the last two years. For the last two years. Now, now Jake, who was here with me, understood what I was saying when I said two years, because I've been here almost four. It's been really fun for the last two. There weren't many of you here, but for the, the faithful who were here my first nine months to a year, um, thank you. Thank, thank you for being here. Thank you for sticking it out. Um, I was not prepared for it. I'd spent eight years as an associate pastor, which especially as a college pastor, you're kind of the island off of the island, which means that as long as you don't really offend anyone or really upset anyone, they kind of leave you alone. And then I stepped into being a senior pastor, where not only are you involved in every conversation, but everything is your fault. And what was weird was those first nine months when everything was a battle, when there were constant critiques and constant attack, my anxiety went away. And I think the reason it went away is because it went beyond the imagined battle in my mind and went into the very real relational battles that were happening. And so my, my time and energy was occupied on real, actual battles. And so the, the anxiety went away. And then things started to turn and things started to get better. And we started growing. And God started just blessing what we were doing. And as God poured out his blessing and things got better and better and better and there was unity and people were on board with the direction we were going, suddenly the anxiety attack started coming back. And last year, the week leading up to my birthday, 
I woke up at 3 a.m. in the morning with an anxiety attack and went to the hospital, then came home. And then Thursday I woke up 3 a.m. with an anxiety attack. and didn't go to the hospital, but my wife woke up with me and literally just sat on the couch with me and prayed and rubbed my back. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. She sat there with me for two hours of, I can't breathe. I think I'm dying. And then we did church on Sunday. It was great. It was wonderful. There was no complaints. And then Sunday night, in the middle of the night, there was another anxiety attack. And I woke up and I went, okay, I know what this is. I'm fine. And so for three hours in the middle of the night in my living room alone, I just sat there on the couch struggling for breath going, God, you've got to help me. God, you've got to, I, I, I know I'm not dying. I know I'm not dying. You've got to help me. I know I'm not dying. You've got to help me. But everything in me is going, you're dying. You are dying. The next day, tired, took the kids to school, came into church, met with our financial team. They were counting the offering from the day before. God had been unbelievably good to us. We had just an enormous offering, and it was October, so it was the offering that kind of let us know, actually, God's going to bring in more this year than we, are spl- than we are planning on spending, which means we've got more money that we can spend to do God's work in the kingdom. We've got more money we can send to missions. We've got more money we can spend in the community. So all of these good things are happening. All these great things are happening, and we're here in the office, and suddenly it starts coming back, talking, and I, I can't breathe again. And I don't know what else to do, so I, I, I pack up my stuff. It's 11 a.m. I get in the car, and I drive to my doctor's office, and I don't have an appointment. And I walk in, and I say, I'm in the middle of an anxiety attack. I don't want to go back to the hospital. I need to see a doctor. And so I sat in the waiting room for 30 minutes, not able to breathe, terrified pending sense of doom. And I go back into my doctor's office, and I, I normally have really great blood pressure. I'm like a solid 120 over 80 guy. And, and I go into my doctor's office, and my blood pressure is 175 over 115. And my doctor looks at me, and he goes, I'm taking this out of your hands. You can't keep living like this. You will slowly die. And doctor put me on a, a number of medication that, that was immediately helpful. Um, the, the most important one of which is a medication that I don't take every day. It's literally a medication I just keep around in the event that I have an anxiety attack. And it's this weird thing that just the simple fact of having it around it's, it's this thing of like, wow, I'm not having these as often. But I, I started to reach out to friends and mentors and other pastors and just, hey, here's what I'm going through. And because there was a season in that where I just went, I'm a failure. I can't lead people. I can't tell people about Jesus if I am so full of fear and anxiety. I can't lead people to Jesus if I'm waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning convinced that I'm dying and that everything is over. 
And some really good friends in my life immediately began to walk me through Scripture and go, you know what? There is no one, there is not a single person in Scripture that God uses who's not full of fear and anxiety and doubt and sin. You are in good company. And then it was friends of mine who were going, okay, so what are you afraid of? Why, why during the hardest part of your leadership at this church, why was there no anxiety attacks? And now that things are going good, why are there suddenly the anxiety attacks? And, and what really happened to me through, through some great counsel is I really discovered I was comfortable getting beat up. I was comfortable being attacked because at least when I was being attacked, I knew what to do. I knew how to fight back. What I didn't know how to do was how to lead when people were looking at me, expecting me to lead well. And so what was happening is I was putting all this pressure on myself because instead of leaning on God, because when, when I was being attacked, I had nothing to do but lean on God. When I was being attacked, all I could do was go, Jesus, you've got to carry this because I can't do it. There, someone is spreading lies about me, Jesus, and I can't go to every person in the community and go, that's not true, don't listen to them. So I had to just trust Jesus. I had to just trust him. But suddenly things were going well, and instead of feeling like Jesus was the one who was doing it, I suddenly was going, Rob, you're the one who's making things go well. And I was putting all that pressure on myself, and the truth is I was never the reason. Jesus was the one who was faithful. I was never the reason things are going well. I'm not the reason things are going well now. And what was happening was I was buying into a lie, and the lie was placing a weight on my shoulders that I could not carry. And instead of taking that weight off and putting it on the shoulders of the only one who's ever been able to carry it, I just kept battling through depression, Anxiety attacks, fear. Over the last year, it has been a process of learning to manage and live with, and it's been a process of healing, honestly. But the, the best healing has not come from medication, although that's helped. The best healing has come from going, this has nothing to do with me. God, God my life and my ministry and my testimony is going to succeed or fail based on you, not on me. And you don't fail. Because I'm going to fail a whole lot. But God, you don't fail. And so God, help me to stop carrying a weight on my shoulders that my shoulders were not designed to carry. And so I'm here to tell you today that I know firsthand I'm with you if this is you. If you're here today and this is your experience, I just want to tell you up front, you are not alone. Your pastor understands that fear and anxiety are real and that they can be soul-crushing. But I also want to tell you today that our God is bigger than your fears and He is bigger than your anxiety. And so let me start off by saying this, anxiety and fear are real. They are medical, psychological, chemical, spiritual afflictions. 
And here's why I need to call them afflictions, because calling them afflictions is so important, because I think it's easy for us in the church to go, oh, you've got fear and anxiety? Well, that's not a real thing. That's just a lack of faith. So if you had more faith, that would go away. And I wish that was the case, but that's not the truth, because fear and anxiety are not just spiritual. They are spiritual, but they're not just spiritual. They're also medical and chemical and psychological, which means that if you are a person who, whose thyroid or your adrenal gland is, is releasing too much adrenaline into your system, or if your brain chemistry is set in such a way that your brain is releasing too much of one type of hormone and not enough of the other, you are constantly in the throes of a fight-or-flight response. And most of us, that's what anxiety attack feels like. It feels like that sudden rush of adrenaline. Suddenly your blood pressure is elevated. Suddenly your temperature is elevated. It's harder to breathe. And your body is saying, you better fight or get out of here. And that's not just spiritual. There's a spiritual element in that, but we can't just pray that away sometimes. And that's not to say I doubt the power of prayer. I'm just saying we need to be really honest and give grace to the people in our church, myself included, who are struggling with this. Because if we make it just spiritual, we will make people feel like a failure for something that has absolutely nothing to do with their behavior or their choices. We will make people feel like a failure for something they have no control over. That's not grace. That's not grace. So anxiety and fear are medical, psychological, chemical, and spiritual afflictions. They are spiritual. And here's why I want you to know they're spiritual. Because even if your anxiety is solely chemical, even if your anxiety is solely medical, it is still a spiritual issue. And the reason it is because it is an afflictions, and afflictions have purpose. In Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, your afflictions and my afflictions have purpose. And this is a hard thing for us to hear because we want a Christianity and we want a Jesus who makes everything great for us all of the time. We want a Jesus who once we follow him says, great, you're on my team and now nothing will ever bother you. But that's not what we get in Scripture. What we get in Scripture is a Jesus who says, not only are you going to suffer, plan on suffering. Expect suffering. Expect it. It's coming. Don't be surprised by it when it comes, and here's why. One, there's a spiritual attack element going on. You have an enemy. You have an enemy. And the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy. And so as God starts working in your life, you better be absolutely certain that the enemy is going, oh, I don't like that. Here's the other truth. We don't legitimize our testimony in good times. We don't bring legitimacy to our testimony in the great times. We bring legitimacy to our testimony in the worst of times. We bring legitimacy to our testimony suffering. I want to read to you one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was the Christian apologist, unbelievable mind, one of the brightest Christians of the 20th century. 
This is what he said in one of his books. Some people feel guilty about their anxieties and regard them as a defect of faith. I don't agree at all. They are afflictions, not sins. Like all afflictions, they are, if we can so take them, our share in the sufferings of Christ. What C.S. Lewis is, he's saying, look, your anxiety, your fear, it's not sinful, it's an affliction, and every affliction you suffer is, if you can take it this way, if your faith is big enough to regard it this way, your afflictions are your share in the sufferings of Christ. Well, what is he referencing when he says that? When he says our share in the sufferings of Christ, what is he saying? Well, he's referencing a letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he writes this letter from house arrest. So Paul is getting ready to face trial in Rome where he will ultimately be killed. He's on house arrest before facing trial, and he's writing a letter to the church in Philippi, a church that loves him and cares for him and has helped to support his mission. And what he writes to the church in Philippi, the last letter he will write during his lifetime, he writes a letter about joy. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 3 that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is on house arrest. He is getting ready to face what will ultimately be his execution by the Roman Empire. And what is he saying to the church in Rome? I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus, and I want to know the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering. And so what Paul is saying is he's going, look, if I want to know the power of his resurrection, I've got to share in his suffering. I have to be willing to share in the suffering of Christ if I want to know the power of his resurrection. And so what C.S. Lewis is, C.S. Lewis is just basically modernizing what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He's going, look, your anxiety is not sin. Your anxiety is an affliction, and afflictions have a purpose. Afflictions draw you closer to Jesus. As you share in the sufferings of Jesus, you share the fellowship of his sufferings. You are united closer to the heart of God through your suffering. And so when we face anxiety, when we face fear, it would be easy for us to view it as curse from God. But what if we changed our perspective and instead, and instead said, you know what, my fear and my anxiety are not a curse from God, they're a mechanism by which my heart will be brought close to the Savior. Your anxiety and fear, like all suffering, can lead you into deeper fellowship with Jesus Christ. Your anxiety and your fear, like all suffering, can lead you. If you will open up your perspective enough, if you'll open up your heart and mind enough, your anxiety and your fear can lead you into deeper fellowship with Jesus. That doesn't mean your anxiety and fear will get easier. It doesn't mean that it won't be scary. It doesn't mean that it won't be painful. It doesn't mean you won't wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning going, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. But when that happens, there's someone you can go to with that suffering. And sometimes, just knowing that we don't suffer alone 
can be enough. Sometimes just knowing that we're not alone in this is enough because I just got to confess to you as someone who's battled it, the worst part about fear and anxiety is knowing, knowing that you feel like you're crazy. And what happens is when you feel like you're crazy, you feel unbelievably isolated. So sometimes the best thing that can happen is for us just to take the fear and the anxiety and come and sit with Jesus. Come sit with Him in His sufferings. It doesn't change the fact that it's suffering, but it means we don't suffer alone. Second thing I want to look at today is this truth that fear and anxiety are often rooted somewhere else. For me, I can't tell you why my anxiety started. I can't tell you why the anxiety attacks began. But in the last year and a half, I can tell you why they grew in, in increasing frequency. And then ultimately, I can tell you what led me to the doctor last year and to finally going on some needed medication was ultimately my fear and anxiety were rooted somewhere else. The anxiety was real. I was having panic attacks. I was having anxiety attacks. My body was getting flush full of adrenaline. But the reason that was happening is because I was trying to carry a weight in my life that I could not carry, and the pressure of trying to carry that weight became too much for me. Our fear and anxiety are often rooted somewhere else. Last year, as I finally decided to, to go on medication, which was a big step for me. There was a pastor out of Atlanta who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and he began to share his own battle with anxiety. And I can't tell you how helpful it was to me and healing it was for me during that time in my life. His name is Louis Giglio. He leads a church called Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He also leads the, the, the college worship movement called Passion Conferences. And Louis Giglio wrote two books, one called The Comeback and one called Goliath Must Fall, about his battle with anxiety and fear and depression. And I want to share with you a, a paragraph from Goliath Must Fall. Anxiety isn't a thing. It's the symptom of a thing. And so we have to go a little deeper and, and, and ask a question, what is making me anxious? You see, I gave too much credit just to anxiety, and so I had to go beneath the surface and ask, what is it that I'm afraid of? Who is it that I'm afraid of? I was trying to manage every outcome, and I was trying to watch over my shoulder all the time. He writes this in a chapter where he talks about his experience stepping in. He had been in the ministry for years and years and years, but it was his very first time being a church planter, and suddenly he began to feel the pressure, and he did what I think as humans we all do, is he takes the pressure, and the first thing he does with the pressure is he places it on his own, on his own shoulders, and he goes, I can carry this. But what happens is when you start walking through your life trying to carry everything on your shoulders, you start trying to manage every outcome. You start trying to control for every variable, and any failure becomes something you cannot live with because when you are carrying the whole thing on your shoulders, failure means you have lost your worth and your value. And that's exactly what I was doing. 
See, the thing that can happen for us as Christians is that we can become so performance-oriented that everything becomes all about us and how good we can do, how successful we can be, how well we can perform, how many trophies we can get up on the pedestal. But we worship a God who says, no, 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 no. The very best that you are capable of, it's, it's filthy rags to me. And see, the reason Jesus says that is not because he wants us to stop trying and stop working and, and stop having ambition. He says that because he wants us to know if all you're striving for is your own performance, you are falling far, far, far short of the holy and righteous demand of God. You see, we don't live based on our performance. We live based on the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful for that. And what that means for us is that I don't have to live like I can never, ever fail. I don't have to live like every failure takes away my identity and my standing in Christ because I didn't earn my standing in Christ by my performance. I didn't earn my place in salvation by how, well, by how good I did. I earned nothing but death in sin, what Christ has done for me is to earn me salvation by his performance, not mine. And so as soon as I start going, I can't manage everything, I'm going to fail, I'm going to slip up, I can't carry this weight. So as soon as I take that weight and I put it on Jesus, I experience grace. That's why Jesus says, he says, come to you all who are weary and heavy laden. How many of us have been there before? How many of us have been weary and heavy laden? And Jesus is saying, come to me, I will give you rest for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Why? Because he's carrying all of the weight. It's him. He's carrying And so we don't have to be afraid of failure. We don't have to be afraid of what might happen or what people might think or what's going to happen if I can't carry this weight. So what Louis Giglio is saying in his book, and it's the same thing I discovered in my own life, is that our anxiety is likely rooted somewhere else. And so... For some of us today, maybe the best thing we can do is just name our fears. Because if we're honest, for some of us, we're so terrified of some things in our life. We're so terrified of failure. We're so terrified of being alone. We're so terrified of being unloved that essentially we just go, you know what? I can't even talk about it. I can't even name that fear. That fear is so real to me. It's so heavy. I can't even, I can't even address it. And so maybe the best thing we can do today is just name the fear. Oh, I love what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to look at what we see here in Jesus as we go to the Sermon on This is the next slide. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And see, here's what he's saying. There's a root fear underneath our anxiety. And here's the root fear that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. The root fear is I'm not valued, I'm not loved, I'm not cared for by my Father. 
And for some of us, that fear is so real, we can't even talk about it. We can't even name it. And so how are we going to begin to be healed from it if we can't even talk about that fear? And Jesus is going, I don't want to ignore this stuff anymore. Jesus is just like my doctor. He's going, you can't live like this. You are more valuable than the birds of the air. Don't you get it? Your Father loves you. He values you. He cares for you. You can't walk through life being afraid of this. You've got to name it. I want to skip forward a few slides. Keep going. Keep going. There we go. And so this is where I want to end today. You do not suffer through anxiety and fear alone. You do not suffer through anxiety and fear alone. There is a psalm that is probably the most famous psalm. It's the one we know the best. It's the psalm we're all familiar with. It's the one that we've probably recited more than any other. But if you really look at this psalm and kind of take it apart, it is a weird psalm. It's this psalm of David, and David is really writing this psalm, God, this is how great you are. And God, this is how great you are. And then right here in the middle, and by the way, there's terrible things going on. psalm, but let's read it together. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All of that is wonderful. All of that is glorious. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I came out of nowhere. And can I tell you, that's what anxiety attacks feel like. That's what fear feels like. You're walking through life, everything's fine, and you're suddenly going, where did that come from? Things were going great. Where did that, how did that show up? In the middle of Psalm 23, this is verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then we're back to the glory of God, to the good things. Let's keep going. Oh, I want to stop. Oh, this is so good. By the way, this is what valleys look like in Palestine, in the part of Israel where David grew up. This is where he was a shepherd. This is what valleys look like. And so valleys were often the only way to get from one place to another. But as you can see, only during the height of the, the, the sun, only during about midday, was there light inside of the valleys. Valleys were almost always dark and shaded. And valleys were an easy place for predators, both human and animal, to wait and hide, to attack. And so what is David saying? He's going, even as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's going, look, I don't know what's coming around the corner. It's dark. I'm walking through the valley. I know that there may be a pack around the corner. There may be something waiting for me around the corner. I don't know what's coming, but you know what? I'm going to fear no evil because I'm not alone. And David's a shepherd. David knows what it's like to lead the sheep through the valley where he is at the front. He's at the front and he's going, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. But imagine how the sheep feel. 
the sheep are just following the shepherd. They're going, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. We know that you're protected because you're going to protect us. And David is going, God, that's what you do to me. God, that's what you do for me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, we have to get back to who God is. We have to get back in the middle of our fear, in the middle of our anxiety, we've got to get back to who God is. And that's what Louis Giglio ultimately says in the final chapter of his book. I always try to take people back to a clear view of who God is. If we just say to people, you're strong enough to get through this, you have what it takes, we're setting them up for disappointment because we always let ourselves down. Let's get back to who God is. It is a reminder that God is with you. He's not going to leave you. You don't go through this alone. So I want to close this tonight or this morning on a very strange quote to bring up in church. Sun Tzu, who was an ancient Asian war general, wrote a book called The Art of War. And Sun Tzu said this in The Art of War, if you know your enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. And for us as Christians, what that means for us is we've got to know ourselves, but we've got to know not what the enemy says about us. We've got to know what Jesus says about us. We've got to know our identity in Christ. We have to know that we are not slaves. We are children of the king. We are princes and princesses, and the king doesn't settle for his children being mistreated. And so we go, if you know the enemy and you know your identity in Christ, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. I need to confess something to you today. I still battle anxiety. I still battle fear. I still battle depression. And I think that I will as long as I live. But I don't have to fear the results of those battles because I'm not alone. And so in the middle of the battle, it is scary. In the middle of the battle, it is terrifying. In the middle of the battle, sometimes it requires medication. In the middle of the battle, sometimes it requires a visit to a hospital. But in the middle of the battle, I know who's gonna be victorious. I know that Jesus Christ wins and I know that I belong to him and I am his child. And so when the battle is most terrifying, I know I don't go through it alone. Anxiety is a real affliction that can lead you closer to God, help you name and identify your fears and that you never face alone. Children of the living God, those of you like me who struggle with fear and anxiety, you do not suffer alone. There is purpose to your affliction. And your God is victorious in every battle. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, Jesus.
God, we love you. We praise you. God, I pray today that you will lead us out in your calling, in our identity in you. Jesus, I pray right now that we would claim our identity. We are children of God. We are not slaves. We are children of God. Jesus, in your name and for your glory, we pray. Amen.